and welcome to the Richard Hunter interview. As ever, this is a place where I'll be discussing matters of interest with a whole range of investment experts. In this episode, I'm pleased to be joined by Becky Quinn, Assistant Portfolio Manager of the Fidelity Multi-Asset Income Fund. Becky was previously a research analyst at Fidelity, having joined in 2014. Prior to this, she worked as an Assistant Investment Consultant at KPMG Investment Advisory. She is a CAIA and CFA charter holder with an investment management certificate and an MSc in Development Administration and Planning from University College London. Becky also holds a BA in Economics from the University of Cambridge. So firstly, Becky, very warm welcome to you and thank you for spending us some of your time. Thank you. Very nice to be here. Thanks very much indeed. So Fidelity Multi-Asset Income Fund, perhaps just to kick us off, you could uh, tell us a bit about the fund, maybe in terms of its uh, strategy and indeed objectives. Yes, of course. So the Fidelity Multi-Asset Income Fund um, is an outcome-focused strategy. And what that really means is that what we're trying to address are those challenges that are faced by income investors today. And as you know, Richard, we live in an ultra-low yield environment where say 10-year yields are only yielding 0.75%, and US high yield bonds, which is meant to offer investors very high yield, is offering just above 4%. And so for those investors that need attractive, sustainable, and stable income stream in this really low yield environment, where should they invest to achieve that income? And doing this whilst avoiding chasing yield by taking too much concentrated risks it's really that what we're trying to address here with this fund. Um, we believe that um, to offer a good multi-asset income strategy, we should deliver three things. So first of all, we want to offer this attractive but also sustainable level of income over the market cycle. And here we target four to 6% yield. And secondly, we want this income to come at a low level of volatility. And so it is. we believe that it is not only the destination that matters, but also the journey to reach it, so we want to offer investors a more uh, pleasant journey to achieve that income. And finally, we have a very strong focus on preserving investors' capital and managing drawdown as defined by a peak to trough return over a period of time. So we want to preserve capital. Those are the key principles of the strategy. For sure. Um, and as the title of the fund suggests, um, obviously multi-asset. So, so what is the what are the, the asset class breakdowns and uh, kind of allocations of the fund? Yeah, of course. So the investment universe of the fund is really quite broad. So regionally, we are a global investor. So we invest across US, Europe, Asia, emerging markets. Uh, and asset class-wise, our investment does span across a range of asset classes as well. So both the traditional asset classes, such as equities, corporate bonds, government bonds, and also more alternative asset classes. So for example, infrastructure, renewable energy, leverage loans, or structured credit. So it is quite a comprehensive universe, uh, which begs the question of how do we think about asset allocation? How do we break down these universes? Um, and in this, in this sense, we break it down into three broad groups of assets, the defensive assets, the yield assets, and the growth assets. And as the name suggests, um, within defensive assets, we typically look for something that offer you a balanced allocation, a steady income, uh, offer you defensive characteristics, and they tend to do a little bit better in economic recessions when market volatility is high. 
and yield asset is in the middle between defensive and growth, it offers you more attractive yield than defensive assets. It has a little bit of potential of capital growth. So here is where you find your high yield bonds. The upside is somewhat capped. The main return driver for this bucket of assets is really income. And they tend to outperform a little bit better in the early recovery phases. And finally, in terms of growth assets, here is where you will find your equity allocation, your infrastructure allocation, where the return is really driven by capital growth, as well as yield um, that we um, will always try to focus on within all the asset allocation. But these group of assets tend to perform the best when we're in the economic expansion phase. So these are the main um, asset classes that we allocate to. Okay, so with that in mind, could you give us some colour in terms of um, some of your top holdings or, or positions uh, within the fund? Of course. So um, this uh, fund, my is a fund of funds. So we will um, allocate between buckets and asset classes. So we don't buy direct equities. So if you look at where we want to put our money today, um, just starting from the top, when we talk about different buckets, uh, and I will drill down to the top holdings within the bucket. So we look at uh, defensive, for example, uh, at the moment is about 35% of the overall portfolio. So how does that compare versus historical? If you look at uh, past five years, we've sort of oscillated between a 35 to 45% range. So we are actually at the more lower end of the range versus historical allocation. Uh, and yield asset today is about 37% of the overall portfolio. Compared to a historical average, uh, five, over the past five years, we've oscillated between 25 and 40%, so it's at the higher end of the range. And finally, growth asset is about 27% of the portfolio, now um, of which majority of it is equity. And actually, equity being 25% of the portfolio is our highest allocation over the past five years. So what are the top holdings or top allocations within each of these assets? So our defensive assets, that 35% is actually mostly investment-grade bonds. And most of that is in UK investment-grade bonds. That has been quite a stable allocation for us to provide that defensiveness. Um, something that has been changing a little bit within this complex is really that we had an allocation um, in US investment-grade bonds, which was more prominent. Middle of last year, we had about 9%. And really, we have been reducing that quite aggressively over the past couple of months, and now that's down to about 2%. And the main reason is that within defensive asset class, we really want to pick the best um, sort of uh, um, uh, defensive trait. And within USIG, we've actually seen that the interest rate risk has significantly extended over the past couple of months. And so there we've seen more interest rate risks and quality has been deteriorating a little bit. And the compensation investors are getting offered today are really not that high versus history. And so that's why we've been dialing down the allocation a little bit. And aside from IG, we do also like um, Chinese government bonds, which is about 3% of allocation, um, but it's a new position we added in 2020. And you might ask why such a specific allocation, what's so attractive about uh, Chinese government bonds, is really centered around the case of we want defensiveness, and defensiveness with relative cheap valuation is quite hard to find. But if you look at Chinese government bonds, the nominal and real yield that is on offer is quite attractive. A 10-year Chinese government bond is yielding over 3.1%, which is 1.5% above US Treasury. And this is still a high-quality, single-rated asset class. 
But the valuation gap really makes it a lot more interesting um, uh, as, a, as, as something that also has defensive qualities. And on top of that, inflation, which is normally really bad news for bond investors, especially government bond investors, is not actually a much, uh, much of a risk in China. The Chinese CPI in March was actually only 0.3%, so it's flushing the disinflationary environment. So, um, you know, whereas we're talking about what about if inflation picks up and that's a threat to bond investors, that's a smaller threat in China. And finally, it is actually a market which is relatively under-owned by investors. And, you know, Chinese government bonds entered various fixed income benchmarks over the past year or so. And so incrementally, you're going to find more incremental buyers from passive as well as active funds. So that is a typical holding that we quite like for defensive uh, basket defensive, but also offer a little bit more yield. Um, turning into the yield bucket, um, you know, we talk about the allocation is at the higher end of the range. What do we like within yield? Majority of that allocation today fill in the high yield bond um, portion uh, of the uh, uh, universe. So within there, we, we have like exposure to US, European, and Asian high yield bonds. Really, over 2020, we've seen a big worry about high yield bond default, but really, as it materialized, as central banks have put in a lot of liquidity injection, and fiscal policy globally has been quite supportive, that default outlook has really, really de decreased. So you're, if you're getting quite an attractive yield and you're seeing default, so the likelihood of losing money, losing capital is falling, and credit rating migration, which is a ratio bond that gets higher rating versus lower rating, keeps improving. And that just makes us a little bit more comfortable that this chase for yield environment is still there to support high yield. So we still think it's good to have an allocation there. We do acknowledge that you know we've gone a long way in terms of risk assets recovering, and this is probably a market to offer you know attractive income rather than capital upside from now on. But we're not too worried about this allocation yet. And finally, within growth assets, um, so our equity allocation is mostly split between UK and global. And UK is really something that we've added to incrementally um, over the last couple of months. Uh, you know, other than the income bias managers, we also have more value-focused managers. We really believe that UK market is quite attractive because of its valuation and because of its composition and a little bit of a cyclical value bias, which can offer us better upside versus, say, for example, US equities. So these are the top sort of our holdings and allocation themes in the portfolio. Uh, which we believe is a good combination to um, sort of benefit from a reopening, reflation environment that we have to look forward to. And, and you've, you've kind of covered this uh, in that particular answer, but obviously in terms of 2020, the last 13, 14 months, we've been through quite an extraordinary time um, so how have you found that the fund has been coping in that current difficult environment? And indeed, uh, did 2020 give you the opportunity perhaps to add new names to the portfolio? Yes, of course. So 2020 indeed has been a bit of a difficult environment for investors to navigate. Um, so in terms of what uh, we did in 2020, and you know, if you look at fund performance, for example, um, you know, long-term performance is, is quite strong, and I still believe, you know, on a five-year basis, we've beaten most peers, and we've provided attractive income and a stable level and low volatility. 
um, and you know our Jordan is lower than many peers. But last one year, indeed, like you said, um, uh, the fund performance has struggled a little bit. So one year to March, we returned 15.5%. So you might think that lagged the broad equity market index, but we're not actually that um, far off the high dividend style equity index. And if you think about what happened in 2020, um, we believe that as 2020, um, the significant dislocation market unfolded, valuation became very attractive across the board. Um, what we did back then was that we added first to credit instead of equity. Um, and there are several reasons for that. And it always comes back to the key principle of the fund in that we want to focus on capital preservation and asymmetry. So where we saw significant volatility in the first quarter was quite striking because even, um, you know, there was a sheer lack of diversification and even defensive assets such as USIG didn't protect investors. And even Treasury sold out for a couple of days before rallying. And this environment made us really a little bit cautious about um, adding risk very aggressively because there was still a lot of uncertainty with regard to how COVID might pan out. Um, and even though the Fed came in uh, by 24th of March to provide very significant liquidity support, we're still looking at credit versus equity market and thinking the downside is much, much more manageable with credit. And you know, if you look at previous recessions, typically credit recover faster than equities as well. So, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, um, that uh, you know that this exceptional policy mix obviously meant equity recovery was exceptionally fast and unprecedented. Um, but by then, I think this um, asymmetry was um, the center of our thinking in terms of adding to credit. Another um, you know, cent central uh, principle of the fund is to focus on income. And by then, if you remember, equity dividend was under pressure in a range of markets. For example, European banks dividend were, was being turned off by regulators. And we thought it was prudent to focus more on credit where you have more certainty on that income, which we have maintained stable through 2020. So really, um, as we move past 2020 into the fourth quarter, where we what really changed our view was really um, in Q4, where we have more certainty around an effective vaccine, as well as a U.S. election. So two of these um, quite key events really removed the tail risk for us and make us much more comfortable in dialing up equity. And we added 10% to equities during Q4. And where we focused on when adding that equity was really the more sort of um, uh, cyclical, the value-oriented sectors that we typically like. So the likes of financials, energy, and I mentioned UK equity, for example, and also Singaporean equity, China value equity. And here it really um, echoes to the point of, you know, over sort of early 2020, the fastest recovering stocks were the growth momentum stocks. And those are stocks that we thought were expensive, and we weren't going to add to those areas um, in any case. And we still think they're expensive. And therefore, you can see the areas that we've added to um, are actually uh, not of that style. Um, so I, I guess UK equity, we, we touched on already. We thought, you know, um, adding to that was really, we, we had a post-Brexit trade deal um, sort of announced before Christmas. A significant tail risk was removed. 
and we have um, you know, new cases peaked out around December time as well. So um, we knew that even though we had a bit of a sort of delay with winter lockdown, but the, we were still looking forward to a very rapid recovery into the later 2021. So despite all that, we still had UK market trading significantly cheaper versus the rest of the world. And all that was providing 4% income, which is very attractive versus the rest of uh, DM as well as EM. And that's really you know, why we, we like the market and we still remain quite positive on the market. Um, as we've had very successful vaccine rollout and we're looking forward to reopening um, uh, gradually. Um, so that's one area we continue to like. Um, and, and maybe another area where uh, you know, we added back in last year, Singaporean equity is quite a niche position. Um, really what we're looking for there is also, you know, again, very aligned with the uh, theme of attractive solid fundamental attractive valuation and good dividend yield. So there is, um, you know, you see Singaporean government implemented very sizable fiscal package. It was 20% of GDP, it was quite sizable versus a lot of DM countries even. Um, and we were starting to see back in the last year positive GDP revision as well. Um, and, you know, Singapore has been quite um, exceptionally effective in controlling the spread of COVID. And actually their new cases has been more sort of 20, 30 single cases over the past couple of months. Um, and, you know, if you look at the index composition, it, it has quite a lot of um, banks in that index, which they tend to benefit in the reflationary environment. So it again, plays into that um, sort of cyclical uh, uh, upside capture story, but also underpinned by a solid internal fundamental. And all that, well, you know, valuation again was quite attractive actually back in the last year in November when we added the position, the price book of the index was still trading close to the GFC levels. So um, again, dividend yield quite attractive, close to 4%. So, you know, it, it might not be the sort of highest absolute return market, but for us, that is a really good asymmetric or risk adjusted return market. So again, I think those two uh, uh, examples just speaks to what we tend to consider when adding to equity and the type of equity exposure that we like. Which leads perfectly into the final question, Becky, and kind of um, we, we've covered it all of this already, but tying it all together. What, what do you think, um, what's your outlook from here? You've already mentioned, for example, uh, we've had something of a, an inflation and interest rate tantrum, uh, particularly yeah. in the States, which the Fed has been quick to uh, mention that it considers inflation will be transitory. But, but in terms of what you're trying to achieve in the fund, what, what is your outlook? Um, yes, exactly like you said, Richard. I think the Fed um, have seen we have seen the Fed still, um, you know, putting out relatively uh, sort of dovish messages for investors to calm down that um, mini tantrum. I guess um, we do believe that central banks will likely to continue to stay behind the curve, or in other words, prefer to only move in modest fashion and see inflation come through as real evidence on a persistent basis before turning more hawkish to avoid disrupting the market and to avoid you know, the, the horrible experience of taper tantrum. Um, and we think this should be positive for growth um, globally uh, as a backdrop. And obviously the um, near term uh, uh, fiscal policy is relatively expansive as well. So this mixed together with the vaccine rollout, which is uh, excellent in the UK, US just not too far behind, but Europe could really catch up here as well with um, the recent news around securing uh, new Pfizer vaccine doses. So 
this um, mix make us still relatively, um, to, to have relatively benign outlook, a positive outlook for the reflationary environment, for global growth to, um, uh, to continue to pick up. And um, I think, and specifically to the UK, I guess we have um, sort of the, uh, you know, not only great vaccine rollouts, but also as reopening happens, the consumers actually did this applies to the US and Europe as well. The consumer have accumulated excess savings. Um, and in the UK, um, I think that's uh, predicted to be um, high single digit of GDP, which could be spent, even though some of that might be in the higher income or um, um, more older part of the population that's more well off. And so uh, marginal propensities spend may be a little bit lower, but there's a chunk of that that will be spent, and that could bode well for economic growth going forward. So this makes us, um, this sort of echoes with our relatively um, positive outlook on the uh, growth and yield assets, so where we have high uh, equity allocation or still remain comfortable with high yield, uh, is echoing that backdrop. Uh, we do. Uh, we are aware that you know risk asset um, performance has been exceptionally strong since March 2020, and we've recovered a long way, more than made up for um, with the loss uh, since then. Um, so, and then thinking back uh, to our capital preservation focus, we do want to maintain our defensive asset um, allocation quite steady from here to balance off the risk asset allocation. It's not um, uh, out of uh, uh, it's, it's, it's not out of imagination to see a bit of a risk asset pullback. And so we've mentioned sort of Chinese government bond before, we like that. We still have that, um, as we mentioned, that UKIG allocation. And we also have been adding to Japanese yen. So this is, again, another asset where you know, it has defensive quality, but its valuation is still relatively attractive. So that's something that we have been incrementally adding. Um, so Overall positive backdrop, but um, conscious of valuation, conscious of where we are in the market. So we want to make sure that we still have defensiveness in the portfolio. That's a very clear strategy and very clearly explained. Unfortunately, that's all we've got time for. So many thanks again for your time, Becky, and for, and for those valuable insights. That was Becky Quinn, the Assistant Portfolio Manager of the Fidelity Multi-Asset Income Fund. And thank you for listening. Please feel free to like and subscribe. And of course, you can find much more, by the way, of investment insights and ideas at ii.co.uk. I'll be back next Tuesday with another Richard Hunter interview. Bye for now. <laughs>